in terms of, I guess, whether crowdfunding's you know a right route to go, you know, for sure it's definitely the right route for some businesses. You know, you do have to do um, quite a lot of legwork pre the campaign to get it ready. So, you know, I said we've got you know hundred grand in twenty four hours, but you basically have to have about fifty percent before you actually go on. Mm-hmm. From Swoop, it's Take the Plunge, a podcast about how business owners decided to stop what they were doing and took the plunge to start their own business. We take a look at how they came to that decision and what those first crucial steps were in getting the business up and running. My name is Kieran Burke, and I'll be your host for this episode. Today, we're joined by Ben Jeffries. At only 24 years old, he's the co-founder of Influencer. Influencer are a marketing agency building meaningful relationships between brands and creatives. He's now grown his team to 50 across their offices in London, New York, and Kiev, and was most recently listed on Forbes 30 Under 30. You're very welcome, Ben. Thank you so much for having me. Really excited for this. So appreciate it. Awesome. Um, so I think it would be great to start from the very beginning. Um, what were you doing before you st- started to start the influencer? Yeah, it's a really good question. I suppose, you know, when I was younger, I've always had a sort of entrepreneurial edge I suppose you could say whether that be from right in the early days to buying actually signed football shirts um, and actually framing them and then selling them on for a markup to all the way to then creating my own clothing brand which was like a streetwear brand which is called Breeze so basically my friends and I had this expression which was like chatting Breeze I mean now it just sounds absolutely awful but um, it was basically like, you know, if someone was chatting rubbish, it'd be like, stop chatting, Breeze. And um, we used to joke, um, obviously didn't have much of a sense of humour back then, but we used to joke <laughs> saying, like, wouldn't it be funny if one of us had a T-shirt that said Breeze on it or a cat that said Breeze on it? And I was like, okay, well, there's, you know, a bit of demand here. So why don't I create this supply? So I created this clothing mm-hmm. brand called Breeze. And I was like, how can I make Breeze the next big thing? And I suppose everyone knows that if celebrities wear your clothes, that's what really can make, you know, a clothing brand go from absolutely nothing to, you know, something. I thought, you know, that would be a great idea. I didn't know any celebrities either. So I thought, okay, well, well you know, <laughs> I'm a big Chelsea football club fan. Sorry if that offends either of you too. Um, but I was like, okay, well, why don't I reach out to some like reserve team players who play for Chelsea? So at the time, these are players like Josh McEachern, Jamal Blackman, so people who were in like the youth team who had like 15, yep. 20,000 followers on Twitter. And I basically said, if I send you some clothes, could you post like a tweet wearing them? Um, so I basically sent them some clothes um, and was getting a really good response working with these like smaller, I suppose now what you can call them micro influencers on social media. Mm-hmm. I started building up a network of these smaller I guess, influences. And it didn't just start with footballers, it then branched out um, to, you know, other people who had 15, 20,000 followers. Um, and then ultimately, I just built out a network, so to speak, of these, I guess, influences, um, which I was able to not just use for my own clothing brand, but for other people's businesses and then start offering it. And then I guess that was where the idea of influencer was born from. And uh, can people still get Breeze clothing? Or is that... To be honest, I'm not sure people would want to get Breeze clothing. I mean, (laughs) I think it's one of those clothing brands which is, you know, slowly or very quietly, like, you know, move to one side and and we'll keep it there. Maybe I might be able to sort some limited edition merch for you guys. (laughs) Fingers crossed. Um, So I suppose as you kind of copped on that 
there was something in the the micro influencer side of things and 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 how it was pushing breeze out for you when do you decide okay there's a business in this i want to start kicking off my own agency and, and go for it well, I think it was when, you know, I was getting ridiculous social followings on the Breeze accounts very, very quickly. And other people were like, how on earth have you managed to grow it? Um, and I was yeah. like, well, you know, just using these smaller creators. And then, you know, very early on, I was working with some companies like European Bartender School, um, Badoo as an app as well, um, and some other like really small apps. I think it was like Ask Bongo as well. And I was doing the same strategy for them. And just getting them like unheard of numbers and i was like well mm-hmm. if i'm doing this from people just approaching me through breeze seeing how i've done it then i can start offering this to more people so i thought okay well you know breeze is all right but it's a bit of a shit hype business so to speak you know one of it as clothing brands so i was like well this has got much more legs into it so let's put my you know focus and emphasis on that yep. so i kind of just transitioned over to that and it was about the same time um when i was on my gap year um so i suppose i had a little bit of extra time where i could actually focus on it and make it something um yeah. and i was working in a sales job in advertising on my gap year um so i was learning yeah. i guess i guess the ropes of how to pitch to a brand and how to mm-hmm. try and sell them and to be honest i was actually selling classified ads which is basically you know those bits in the back of a magazine which yeah. are those tiny little adverts which no one really wants to buy. So you're getting a lot of no's. Exactly. Very tough sell. But um, yeah, I suppose it was around that that time. Did you go out and decide, I'm going to start this on my own? Or did you bring anyone alongside when you were kicking things off? At that time, I was, you know, it was, it was very much, I suppose, an idea where it was just, I guess, centered around what was in my brain. So I focused it just on my own in those early stages. Um, one of my mm-hmm. best friends also at the same time was starting his own aerial cinematography company, which is basically taking photos with drones for like, you know, um, production houses. Um, yeah. So we were both going along that sort of like entrepreneurial journey together, albeit two different businesses, but we had the support of each other, which was really nice. I was also going to Bath University at the end of my gap piece, I had that in the back of my mind. So I didn't necessarily want to bring someone else in and make, you know, maybe waste all their time. I'd rather just focus yeah. it myself and see where it would actually go. When you kind of set the business up from the first time, how did you go about getting your first customers? How did you kind of set the business up to make it look professional and engage those people? I suppose the first customer, in essence, was my own business. So I'd proven yeah. the concept worked, which was awesome. In terms of, I guess, reaching out to sort of other businesses, again, you know, I suppose working for that other marketing company, I, I, I learned how to like outreach to people. I learned how to I guess, get businesses interested. And I suppose I was quite mm-hmm. fortunate as well with the name in the early stages i mean we started as influencer um dot uk and dot code uk but fortunately as time went on we were able to acquire influence.com which again has like nice. the name authority attached to it probably the best thing was actually the instagram handle which is just influencer which is probably much cooler um but yeah so that was i suppose how we were able to get the first sort of customers on board was through, um, I guess, proving the validation, having the case studies from working on it on my own business, Breeze, mm-hmm. um, and then offering out to other people who maybe had heard of us from our namesake or just because I, I was like learning to outreach just through LinkedIn. And I think, you know, I actually did a podcast a couple of weeks ago. And I guess one of the messages which, you know, I, I really tried to get across was just about like sending 
a message and like sending like a cheeky message to people because the only way you can kind of get a response is if you're literally sending a basically a fuckload of messages where you're not just yeah. sending one you're sending it you know messages at scale so you have to send yeah. out 100 200 messages before you'll actually get a bite and you just have to learn that yeah. that's just the tricks and trades of sales um to be able to build it up in terms of like when you're kind of messaging en masse were you just kind of hitting emails instagram messages or using any tools to be able to send multiple ones at once or is it just like grafting message 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 so it's twofold because i suppose i was trying to build up my network of creators and that's when you're literally mm-hmm. like dm central just like get those dms out fire 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 <laughs> then on the flip side obviously to the advertisers you're kind of linkedin messaging on mass and you're just again yeah. fire 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 quite a funny story so as i mentioned to you earlier i'm a big chelsea football club fan um yep. so when i was trying to get creators on board um i was desperately obviously trying to dm john terry a lot and being a big chelsea football club fan john terry's actually blocked me on instagram so no i know it's bloody heartbreak i'm a, I'm a bit i'm a big villa fan so now i've got all the love for john terry these days <sighs> yeah so it's absolutely obviously maybe he's, maybe he's blocked you i don't know whether he... <laughs> is he still are you still blocked i'm still blocked but you know i obviously oh. i just tried a little bit too hard on that cheekiness but you know who knows in the future hopefully I, i'll be able to meet him and you know make sure he unblocks <laughs> me on his phone but you know you have to take those sort of i guess persistence with messages on, on on both before you'll actually get that you know that success um i suppose it was a little bit more difficult for advertisers because you're trying to persuade them to give you the money to give to someone else yeah. whereas with the creators you're telling them well we'll get you the money from advertisers um but it, yeah it's just about that i guess persistence to just keep messaging out once you started seeing there's a bit of a business here you've got customers coming through you obviously started to look to to grow the business internally so who was your kind of first hire um why did you hire them and kind of what, what what kind of roles did they start to do for you so it was actually when i was at university still um so i dropped out of bath university in the end um but when i was at university i'd basically seen someone in the year above me um yeah. raise some capital on crowdkeep yeah. and i saw this and i was like this is awesome like you know how's this person managed to raise i think they'd raised like 75 grand or 100 grand and yeah. i was like wow like that'd be sick if i could have that for my business i could really like excel and bring in more team members so i was like okay like basically just sat down with him i was like mate how you know how much fuck do you hey, do it? exactly <laughs> and then he basically um basically set me up with this like incubator who helped and was basically like a accelerator program where they help you get like crowd keep ready and they're called yeah. crowd 10 ideas well anyway um nice. We went on to CrowdCube, um, managed to raise um, 100 grand in 24 hours, which was sick, um, and managed awesome. to raise 150 grand after the three days period. And then we just stopped the campaign because I was just diluting so much. Um, I think people obviously thought the next Facebook or something like that, they probably misunderstood. But anyway, <laughs> got the money in, yeah. so happy days. So then after that first round of funding was then when I'd actually properly started to implement, you know, a hiring strategy um yeah and hired hester who um first employee and she's still at the company which is awesome bless hester she's done every role in the company from sales to campaign management i think i even made her do like development at one stage which she was like then i've absolutely <laughs> never looked at code in my life 
but we moved. <laughs> no, I think, you know, the first hire is always the most difficult, I suppose, because you're, it's like, it's your baby. So you're trying to like, I guess, pass on, I guess, you know, trust and pass on control mm-hmm. in essence. Um, but no, Hess has been absolutely, you know, phenomenal for the company. Um, and I suppose, you know, one thing which I guess Hester and I, um, as we've been scaling up the company together, is we is we've I guess noticed that their you know culture is the most important thing, and culture is what mm-hmm. keeps people out of the business. Culture is what keeps people you know motivated to come in every day and motivated to join a Zoom call every day. Should we say now? But you know, it's yeah. it's the sort of thing which gets people excited, and we're fortunate enough that at Influencer we've never had anyone quit the business. So I mean, we've had people who've left the business because you know things haven't worked out and you know we've had to unfortunately go in a different direction but we've never had anyone quit and it's something which we're really proud mm-hmm. of um as we scale up and i suppose that's the testament the culture that you know we've created in influencer on that culture point how do you kind of keep the same kind of culture as you scale because you're, you're now 50 plus people how do you keep keep that that level of uh i don't know the, the kind of essence of what influencer is as you grow internally what we have is every single person you know, who we look at, who we bring on board at Influencer, we don't just judge them on their objectives, like in terms of like their performance and their ability. We also judge them on their values. So we Mm -hmm. judge them based on, are they the right fit for, you know, the rest of the team as well? Because we want people who join the company to sit well within the company and be able to, you know, mingle um, well. So values is really, really important. Um, And, you know, we measure that because you could have someone who, could be the best at performance but rubbish at company values and we don't want them at the company because they could just be a kind of like a virus internally and just cause havoc so it's focusing around values and then you know i suppose it's just once you've got that right sort of mold and that right sort of you know team fit it's then just ensuring you're keeping your staff you know regularly looked after and you're doing you know i guess strong team building events and just making sure that I guess you're looking after things that matter. So something which we actually introduced this week is we got every uh, member um, of the Influencer team a Headspace subscription because we had a few um, team members saying that they were um, struggling a little bit with uh, working from home because they, you know, th- their mind was all over the place and they w- and they weren't feeling as they they had necessarily something just to you know just to chill them out ultimately. Um, so yeah, we we got them all a headspace subscription and you know, it's just small things like that um, which can just go a long way to show um, employees that you actually do care about them. Just going back to the the crowd raise uh, at the moment because uh, it sounds like a pretty important juncture. It allowed you to kind of scale and get those first couple of people in and working at influencer um as a form of funding how did you find it uh were you going in eyes wide open with something like you knew you had to bring a certain amount of cash to the table before you went online how did you find doing all the prep work and sort of creating the assets video was it was it a good experience would you recommend it so crowdcube and crowdfunding is an, an interesting one i feel it's much more suited to b2c businesses than b2b businesses um mm-hmm. the reason why it's much more suited to B to C businesses is because I suppose the end unit um, people can more positively talk about. So what I mean by that is I suppose for, you know, we had 139 investors from Crowdcube Um, for them to, I guess, be talking about influencer wasn't as effective as if you had 139 people talking about, I don't know, a new peanut butter or a new, you know, protein powder Um, because it obviously it's naturally encouraging their friends and their 
I guess their outer circles, um, you know, about a product and educating them on it. Whereas there isn't much particular use case for a lot of people's friends to use an influencer marketing company. It might just get them mm. interested in becoming an, an influencer, so to speak. But in terms of, I guess, whether crowdfunding's, you know, a right route to go, you know, for sure, it's definitely the right route for some businesses. You know, you do have to do um, quite a lot of legwork pre the campaign to get it ready. So, you know, I said we've got, you know, 100 grand in 24 hours, but you basically have to have about 50% before you actually go on. Mm-hmm. So again, going back to that whole cheeky message, I literally typed in on LinkedIn, angel investor, basically added every single one and was like, here's our pre-link to Crowdcube. Are you interested? Let's set up a phone call. So nice. it's just, I suppose, that element of hustling, um, which you have to do. And there's quite a lot of pre-work. And then also, once it's completed, it's not as simple as great, you know, close the campaign, let's transfer over the money. Not at all. There has to be a little bit of like due diligence work as well, which takes a few months as well, which is bloody annoying. But um, you know, <laughs> how, are the, how are the patience levels then? I mean, to be honest, the patient levels then were much softer than they were from when we did our Series A investment round. Our due diligence took about yeah. six, seven months there, which I can go on to mention. Yeah. But I mean, that was, <laughs> that, that was really uh, trying and testing. How long did you go from doing that initial crowd uh, funding campaign before going? Uh, was Series A the next the next round you did? Or was there any inter, intermittent rounds? So there was another round in between, which is actually when I brought my co-founder to, to today on. So um, he's actually a YouTuber, Casper Lee, um, when he came on board. And we had a number of other like influencers invest in the business. So we had like people like yeah. Joe Sugg, Joshua Peters, like all of these like YouTubers all invest into the company. And we brought them on board because they were like tactical investors, so to speak, because yes. um, they could positively spread the word about influencer amongst the creator community, um, which was awesome. So they came on board um, more of like a tactical investment round. We raised um, like 500,000 then. Then that enabled us again to scale up even further and put more emphasis on our technology. I guess the first yeah. investment round was more like a, a pre-seed. We, we, I'd call yep. Crowdcube. I'd call this 500K one a seed. And yep. then last year um, was when we raised our Series A, um, which was from a company called Puma Investments. No relation to the fashion mm-hmm. brand, but um, Puma Investments, yep. which was cool. But um, that was a a fun process, should we say. So how yeah. would I word it? We went out to investors in December 2018. Never go out to investors during Christmas because they always say, we'll get back to you after Christmas. And you're like, oh, fuck's sake, why did I do? Why, why did I put myself through this? So we went out to investors December 2018. We got yeah. about three or four offers in January. And then yeah. there was a bit of, bit of like pre-negotiation on the offers. Then we went with Puma in February. And then the investment round wasn't closed until September. So like that much of due diligence. And you're and like it's you, you kind of get to a stage as well, especially when it's Series A when it's quite a material amount. You know, it was three million yeah. pounds where you're like, you're going and you're pitching to investors, you're selling them all of these amazing stories that you want to do with the money. And you've said all those stories back in January and like yeah. you've then agreed that it's going to happen in February, but you can't implement them until September. So like, yeah, you're a bit like over the period of March to September, you're just getting frustrated because you're like, I want to be doing all of this, you know, all, all of these amazing things, but I can't at, at, at the moment. So it's just like planning and, Trust me, like due diligence is the most testing process in the world because 
I mean, I didn't know that such analysis was possible because it was just more analysis, more analysis, more analysis. But it's important and it, it, it does make yeah. you become much yeah. more of a structured business. So when Puma would come on board, did that kind of force you into doing more of a governance level, kind of more regular board infrastructure, things like that? Or is that in place prior to Puma coming on board? Not definitely much more in place with Puma on board. I mean, we have, <laughs> we have bi-monthly board meetings, which is great. Yeah. And like, you know, we go over how, you know, we performed over the last two months. We go over like future plans and, you know, it was a lot of, I guess, legwork, but it's so important because it actually yep. helps you ensure that you're going on the right path. And that, you know, there's a collective group almost analyzing the performance and it's not just in your own head, like, is this going well? Is this not? Like, what's what's the vibe almost? And then in terms of getting that kind of Puma engagement, being a kind of EIS eligible business, as I assume you would have been to get a Puma yeah. investment, was was that really important for you guys to, to go out to investors and, and be EIS eligible? Yeah, 100%. Um, I don't think we could have raised that level of capital without being EIS. I think... EIS is just so important because obviously it gives investors certain tax breaks. I suppose from, you know, even the, the 500 grand round that we did before the Series A, it was EIS as well. And to mm-hmm. investors, that means that, you know, as, you know, especially high net worth, they get, you know, I think it's 30% off, um, mm-hmm. you know, 30% of their investment value off their next tax bill. Um, but then also they can have entrepreneurs relief if the business doesn't work out. So they get, you know, a little bit extra on top of that 30%. Um, so I guess it mitigates their their risk quite substantially. Um, but then, of course, yeah, Puma was a actually a, a VCT fund, um, so it was yeah. imperative that um, it was an EIS investment. Yeah, I mean, we we, we see countless times, but um, definitely EI, EIS, SEIS, VCT definitely is a, a big thing for any kind of young UK business to to be aware of because it, it makes a huge difference if you're looking at equity as a as an option. Um, I suppose like just going back to influencer now in terms of take it back to now you've taken on say your your seed seed round. Um, what is it there that you're trying to grow at that level to try to take you to the next level? Is it trying to grow in new markets or are you trying to establish yourself in your core market of the UK or you do you do see yourself as a global brand brand from, from day one? Yeah, so sorry, the five hundred grand round was the seed one and then the three million was the series A. And like with the Series mm-hmm. A, what the plans were was um, to open our office in Kiev, which was where our de- um, development office is. So we've got all of our yes. developers based there because um, previously we'd outsourced our development, but then we decided to actually create our own yeah. and have a little bit more control over the, the development cycle. It was to expand in the UK. So we've hired some people from like Maker Studios. We've hired people from like mm-hmm. Facebook. Um, which really helped to elevate the, the company, so to speak, um, which has been super exciting. And then the, the third bit was um, for the US, which we haven't been particularly aggressive in at the moment because of everything that's happened with COVID rather frustratingly. Um, but the plan mm-hmm. is to be much more aggressive in 2021 um, around cool. international ex- expansion, which I'm really looking forward to. One of the things I'd love to chat to you about is around the development area. I always find it pretty, pretty fascinating was like technology kind of course the business at the beginning or is it something that has started to uh, interweave with the business as as you've grown and are you yourself can you code is it something that you're comfortable with or is it something you've had to learn as the business has grown i think there's a difference between being an agency and a platform and a solution i think when you're just 
an agency without any technology, you run the risk of, I guess, just moving based, you know, accounts moving based on people. Um, whereas if you're a technology, then you have, you know, a USP connected to yourself, which enables clients to be sticky and want to actually stay with you um, because of the technology that you're offering. So technology is really key as part of that. In terms of whether I can code, absolutely not. I mean, I've tried in the past. I've done like a bit of like HTML, but very, very basic. Yeah. Leave that to the experts. Um, yeah. But no, you know, it's been super exciting. You know, recently we hired um, the VP of products from a big ad tech company called Unruly. Um, he basically mm -hmm. changed the game in the video advertising market. And he's come in as well as we've also hired a, um, a product manager from News UK who's also been fantastic and been able to really, um, I guess, understand what our clients want. Um, so we've just signed a big technology partnership with Ogilvy, who's uh, one of WPP's yeah. agencies. And yeah, being really able to, to grow the tech with both our clients and also you know, other parties as well to really grow the company. As you say, you're not a coder, a little bit of HTML. When you have the kind of earlier stage of the business, you know technology is a core aspect that you need to bring in. You make It's going to give you valuation. It's going to add uh, your USB to the business. What are the, your kind of decision-making tactics when you're going out and looking at outsourced tech talent? Like how are you identifying one over the other? Or like what was your kind of thinking as you were trying to get those partners? In the early stages, I suppose I had the hat of, I guess, chief product officer as, as well as being CEO. So I was in charge of like, the product direction of the business. So when choosing an outsourced partner, it was just basically, you know, understanding, I guess, what work they've done to date and whether their mm -hmm. processes worked alongside mine. So that was one element. Then when we moved to a more established and setting up our own Kiev office, which is hiring people who are on your own payroll, that's obviously very, very different. So, you know, had to have a CTO who had the understanding yep. of how to actually do it. And, you know, pretty fortunate as well that, you know, I brought on board advisors who have been able to help who have, you know, done it before, so to speak. And I think that's really key business advice is always bringing on board advisors who have done it before mm -hmm. because it just saves so many steps in the process. So one of my um, other board directors, who's one of my main advisors, is a guy called Adam Ludwin, who founded a company called Captify. And Captify got like seven mm -hmm. offices around the globe, revenues of like 80 million. So they're able to like, I guess, share their insights and also share, I guess, people within their company's insights who are able to also help influence grow. What was the, the natural tipping point for you then to move from outsourcing technology to, to bringing it in-house and having that need to, to control the whole technology cycle within Influencer? Money is the biggest one because it's, it, it's mm -hmm. much more expensive in the short term to have yeah. your own developers, but it's cheaper in the long run, but it's that much more expensive initial sort of six to 12 months period. So it was only really possible with the Series A investment round because yeah, basically you just have to obviously stump up quite a lot of capital initially, but obviously in the, in the long run, it's cheaper because it's obviously, how do I word it, much better quality code and you know, much more scalable as a, a product to actually scale up. You, you've had a pretty interesting journey happen very, very quickly from going from like one-man shop into crowdfunding style business, seed round business, series A business. There's obviously lots of different junctures that happen along that way. Is there a couple of moments or things that just went like, that was a really good decision uh, and allowed us to move or would, uh, it would be, be really interested. Are there kind of a few moments you look back and gone, that was pretty, pretty instrumental for us. So that's probably one of the worst things that I do is that I don't really like look back and then and be like, yeah, that was cool. That was it. I'm quite like 
it sounds quite negative, but it's to me, it's quite, I guess, motivating. It's like that analogy of when you're climbing up a mountain, right? And you think mm-hmm. that you're about to reach the peak. And then just as you're about to get to the peak, you then see that there's a bit, the, the, you know, the next peak's even bigger. So it's just about consistency, you know, consistently climbing and that you're like, you know, I can take the business, like, you know, the objectives I had three months ago to where I wanted to be now, like I'd, I'd almost laugh at and be like, okay, no, no, they're much bigger. Than <laughs> I, I want to be there. But I suppose just in terms of, I guess, you know, very layman's terms, in terms of, you know, what are some key points, you know, definitely bringing on advisors who are there to, you know, provide that support bringing on um tactical investors who were able to um also you know provide you know those creator relationships but also you know when pima came on board they've got an abundance of um portfolio companies who you know were able to as well use our services but also we'd have similar learnings because we were all growing at a similar stage so you know those two are some really key learnings and i suppose it goes without saying but it's much cheaper to retain a client than it is to consistently go out and win a client so it's just about like looking after your existing clients once you bring them on and making sure you're delivering the best quality of service that you can grow those accounts much easier and have you had like a a favorite moment or day or period where you're just like this is going so well not (laughs) not really i mean i think you know when we'd finally signed the series a it was like kind of just like thank god relief you know it was more like you know more that it's it's stretched on for so long that i was like you you had months during that due diligence process where you're like you know i might just walk away from this now um because Mm -hmm. it's dragging on for too long and it's like i guess distancing my focus from the actual core business like you get into like a fundraising mode almost i was basically like okay well you know when the series a signed okay now i can put all of those things i've been talking about for so long into reality so i suppose that was probably the most defining moment and i suppose just looking into say covid for a second now i'm aware that like this is usually the second question that happens at the start of every zoom conversation but as a business how have you adapted to to covid is there kind of things you've you've put in place that's really helped the business kind of grow or function or has it not made much difference to your business no i mean april and may were absolutely appalling i mean like (laughs) advertisers globally just paused and it was like what the hell is going on um but you know that said july august and september things you know rose back up and i think there was that initial fear amongst advertisers over what should we do with their advertising you know you know where should we put it but then people i guess looked back and, and saw that you know everyone's eyeballs right now where they can guarantee people will see it are on things like social so um mm-hmm. you know we suddenly saw like an absolute um rise in in advertisers coming in and moving budgets away from more traditional methods and, and coming into influencer marketing which is really exciting but i suppose what covid has taught just from a business level perspective is you know you need to be as lean as possible you need to be not necessarily you need to you have to have that lean mindset and if anyone's not read a book um, or wants to read a book should i say i'd recommend the lean startup definitely mm-hmm. changes your mindset on certain things and you know i suppose is as well just during this covid period how important culture has been because it's been challenging for everyone um you know people have had to do things which they haven't ever done before such as work from home every day um, and not leave their houses for god knows how long so you know it's so important in those sort of periods to i guess take those learnings and adapt moving forward like 2021 moving forward i think gone are the days where everyone's going to be expected to be like five days a week in the office 
you know, people mm. are going to be much more flexible on work from home and things like that. You've mentioned that you, you set new goals kind of every three months or so and they, they rapidly change. So I suppose what, what does the outlook look for influencer for Ben in, in 2021? What, what are you kind of focusing your mind on? I suppose the reason I set three month goals is, you know, we set five year goals, we set three year goals, we set one year goals. But the issue is if you set those goals, you know, they're so far in advance, they don't necessarily feel attainable. So, you know, set 90 day goals, that's like three month goals, um, which we call rocks, because they're, I guess, those stepping stones to achieving those longer term goals and, and that you feel that sense of achievement once you do hit those. But in terms of, I guess, what our 2021 goals are, you know, it's just to be quite aggressive internationally. I feel like within the UK market, we've got a really strong hold. But that said, that's only, you know, the UK and, and EMEA market. So we, we really want to grow presence out in the States and take on some of the other major players there, which I'm confident we can do quite successfully. Well, Ben, thank you so much for coming and joining uh, Take the Plunge. You've been full of nuggets and insights and it's amazing to hear kind of how you've changed so quickly in such a short time period. Um, and no doubt, like super helpful for any kind of young startups that we come across that will be going through different transitions, whether it's uh, seed, crowd, series A. So thanks so much for sharing your insights. It's been absolutely brilliant. No, thank you for having me. I really, really appreciate it.